You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Anonymous Sudan responds to remarks from the U.S. Secretary of State by targeting Lyft and American hospitals. NSA releases an advisory on North Korean spear phishing. The U.S. government's Moonlighter satellite will test cybersecurity in orbit. Operation Triangulation offers an occasion for Russia to move closer to IT independence. The SEC drops cases over improper access to adjudication memoranda. Executives and board members are easy targets for threat actors trolling for sensitive information. Rick Howard targets zero trust. The FBI's Deputy Assistant Director for Cyber, Cynthia Kaiser, shares trends from the IC3 annual report. And Killnet seems to say it's disbanding. Or is it? Dave Bittner with your CyberWire Intel Briefing for Monday, June 5th, 2023. Anonymous Sudan began targeting U.S. organizations on Saturday in a newly distributed denial-of-service campaign after the hacktivists took offense at comments made by U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken regarding a possible U.S. involvement in Sudan. The hacktivist group posted a threat on its Telegram page today, and targets included U.S. rideshare program Lyft and five U.S. healthcare organizations, which the group has reportedly taken a break from as they are satisfied with their results. It's unclear if more attacks are to occur, but Anonymous Sudan seems dedicated to pursuing nuisance-level attacks on countries that displease them. The U.S. National Security Agency stated in a press release that it has partnered with five U.S. and Republic of Korea agencies to release a cybersecurity advisory. In the advisory, the agencies note that North Korea's primary intelligence agency, the Reconnaissance General Bureau, is responsible for spearfishing campaigns. The statement named the threat actors associated with these attacks as Kimsuki, Thallium, APT-43, Velvet Kolima, and Black Banshee. In many cases, the threat actors will pretend to be real journalists to build rapport with their targets. 
Typically, the actors will then ask questions regarding current events and U.S. expert opinion on North Korean affairs. The actors will also masquerade as scholars, think tank advisors, and officials from the government in email correspondence. Eventually, they will send a fake email pretending to be the target's email service provider, requesting that they reset their password, threatening to permanently delete their account if they fail to follow the instructions. NSA advises all potential targets to consider the risks before clicking on links sent over email from unverified sources. Additionally, they suggest training employees on spearfishing awareness. CISA added the Progress Move-It Transfer SQL injection vulnerability, CVE 2023-34362, to its known exploited vulnerabilities catalog on June 2nd. Mandiant reports that this vulnerability seems to have been used on May 27th by UNC 4857 and describes it as a newly created threat cluster with unknown motivations. Industries in Canada, India, and the U.S. have found themselves targets. Mandiant's researchers add that the threat actors have been seen deploying a newly discovered web shell called Lemur Loot, which is used for data theft. Mandiant adds that it's unable to conclusively attribute this new activity to an established threat group, but they list FIN11 and UNC2546 as groups of interest due to shared tactics, techniques, and procedures. The researchers add that they have also noticed CLOP searching for partners that utilize SQL injection, so it may be possible that the ransomware group is associated with this exploit. The launch of the Moonlighter satellite, a government-funded satellite coined the world's first and only hacking sandbox in space, was delayed from yesterday to today due to high winds, Spaceflight Now reports. The launch was scheduled for liftoff from the Kennedy Space Center aboard a SpaceX Falcon 9 on a resupply mission to the International Space Station. Earlier Sunday, the outlet reports, another Falcon 9 rocket saw a launch from the neighboring Cape Canaveral Space Force Station. The Moonlighter was built by the Aerospace Corporation, a federally funded research and development center in Southern California, in partnership with the U.S. Space Systems Command and the Air Force Research Laboratory. The satellite will support cybersecurity training and exercises in orbit, with the software developed by those working in the infosecurity and aerospace engineering fields. The record reports that in response to FSB claims that Apple colluded with the U.S. National Security Agency to facilitate NSA access to Russian users' iPhones— Russia is moving to equip officials with phones running Rostelecom's Aurora operating system. Apple has denied working with NSA or any other intelligence service to compromise the security of the devices it sells. The move toward greater self-sufficiency has a dual motivation. The first concern is for security. The second is concern to maintain a national IT capability in the face of international sanctions levied in response to Russia's war against Ukraine. A campaign dubbed Operation Triangulation by Kaspersky researchers, which they say they detected in iOS devices, and may presumably be the same campaign the FSB complained of, remains mysterious. Computer Build offers a rundown of how the campaign may have unfolded and notes some possible similarities to other operations using commercial spyware. Citing chatter in the hacktivist auxiliary's V. Kentucky channel, 
CyberNews reports that Killnet says it's disbanding. The reasons are unclear, but the group's admin posted, I do not intend to single out the rest. No one deserves an acclaim and a comment. Killnet has been completely disbanded. The announcement came after resignations and expressions of dissatisfaction. How seriously the announcement should be taken remains to be seen. In some ways, the announcement looks more like a dasvidanya to a disgruntled member than a dissolution. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission on Friday announced that it was dropping a number of cases in which enforcement staff received improper access to restricted adjudication memoranda. The SEC attributed the incident to inadequate internal controls over sensitive information, saying that they deeply regret that the agency's internal systems lacked sufficient safeguards surrounding access to adjudication memoranda. They promise appropriate safeguards in the future. And finally, companies spend millions on cybersecurity to protect their corporate infrastructure. But what are the cybersecurity mitigations in place to protect the devices of the executives of the company when not at work? This is the question posed in a study by Black Cloak in their report titled Understanding the Serious Risk to Executives' Personal Cybersecurity and Digital Lives. Apparently, most companies don't protect the personal devices of their executives and board members, 58% of companies polled didn't incorporate the risk of key executive members' personal devices into their cybersecurity risk portfolio, and 62% of the companies had no dedicated services to respond to attacks on the high-ranking members. So, executives, keep an extra close eye on your smartphones and tablets. Threat actors may be after more than just your playlists and grocery lists. Coming up after the break, Rick Howard targets Zero Trust. The FBI's Deputy Assistant Director for Cyber, Cynthia Kaiser, shares trends from the IC3 annual report. Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. 
Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. And it is always my pleasure to welcome back to the show Rick Howard. He is the CyberWire's Chief Security Officer. I suppose I should say N2K's Chief Security That's Officer. That's exactly right. Get it right, Dave. Get That's it right. right. <laughs> um, just a half step behind. And uh, also our Chief Analyst, uh, Rick, your podcast, CSO Perspectives, and the book that you just published spends a lot of time talking about cybersecurity first principles. And one of the key strategies that you advocate for is zero trust. Now. We're not talking about the vendor hype version of Zero Trust, about how their products are all Zero Trust capable and all that stuff. Right. But you're talking about the strategy and tactics that network defenders can use to actually implement the philosophy. Right. Now, you and I were talking on some of our Slack channels this week about how Zero Trust, uh, since its inception back in 2010 or so, has kind of been a bit of a moving target. And I was I thought maybe this would be a good opportunity that we could chat about that. Maybe you could help uh, improve my understanding about that. Why is it a moving target? Well, you're right, Dave. I fundamentally believe that for the right organization, zero trust is a highly impactful strategy that will help you buy down the risk to your own organization. But when John Kindervog wrote the original white paper back in 2010, we were mostly talking about limiting access to our employees and contractors based on a need to know, right? Uh, But as the time slipped by and we got to around 2013 or so, when it started to become acceptable to allow our employees to use their personal devices to do work, you know, like tablets and laptops and phones, we started thinking about how to limit device access too. And then just this year, the U.S. National Cybersecurity Center for Excellence announced its research on data classification processes. A really boring name, by the way, but <laughs> but it's a great aspirational idea for being able to apply the same kinds of internal zero-trust controls that you and I might use with our own internal digital infrastructure huh. to, to data that leaves your organizations like, you know, email and files stored in public repositories, Dropbox and, you know, Amazon S3 buckets. And then... You and I just published a CyberWireX podcast on that very subject. It's called, uh, What is Data-Centric Security and Why Should You Care? Yeah. But in 2020, we were all relearning what a supply chain attack was when the hackers behind APT29 compromised solar winds. And in 2021, when the InfoSec community discovered the Log4j vulnerability and the risk of open source software, we started to get serious about applying zero trust rules to commercial applications that we buy, software that we build ourselves, and open source code libraries that are used by everybody. And that is what you are talking about in this week's episode of CSO Perspectives? That's right. It's called Zero Trust in an App-Centric World, and we invited two guests, one from Okta, 
and one from Cato to join us here at the CyberWire hash table to discuss it. All right. Well, look forward to that. Uh, before I let you go, what is the phrase of the day over on your Word Notes podcast this week? The phrase is SEO poisoning, and we're going to demonstrate how the attack activity is the great Waldo in the InfoSec space. Right? <laughs> okay. If you, if you don't know what the great Waldo is, you have to come and listen to the episode. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. We'll check it out. Rick Howard is the CyberWire and N2K's Chief Security Officer. Rick, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. It is my pleasure to welcome to the show Cynthia Kaiser. She is Deputy Assistant Director for Cyber at the FBI. Cynthia, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. So I want to touch with you today on the IC3 annual report, which you and your colleagues have recently put out. Uh, Before we dig into the report, for folks who might not be uh, intimately aware, can you give us a a little overview of the IC3 and the mission there? Sure. Um, So the FBI's Internet Crime Complaint Center, also known as IC3, it serves as a really convenient mechanism to report suspected Internet-facilitated crime to the FBI. But it's also much more than that. Information gathered from IC3 through the public reporting is analyzed and disseminated for investigative and intelligence purposes for us to be able to conduct you know, law enforcement actions or just for public awareness. Uh, the site's also a fantastic resource to review recent consumer alerts, industry alerts, and other relevant cybersecurity information. Well, let's dig into the annual report here together. What are some of the things that uh, caught your eye? Every year, IC3 produces that annual report on trends that impact the public, as well as just routinely providing the public reporting about the trends that we're seeing. The information submitted to IC3 is in individual complaints, and it's then it's combined with other data to come out with this report. So just to kind of give you a little bit more background mm-hmm. on the report itself. So in 2022, I think what struck me is the IC3 received over 800,000 complaints, and that's actually a 5% decrease from Hmm. 2021, but the potential total loss has grown from just about 7 billion in 2021 to over 10 billion in 2022. So we saw Hmm. less reporting, but much larger sums. And and to what do you attribute that shift? In part, we've seen a big increase in investment fraud, and that includes cryptocurrency scams. We also have seen just a, a larger amount of you know, business email compromise, uh, the kind of tech support fraud that will happen when, you know, people just get a call from a call center and it sounds legit and you're going to try to get, you know, yourself back online or give your password information and all of a sudden you've lost money. So, you know, we did see growth in several areas, but I do think overall, um, some of what we also saw was a little bit of a decrease in ransomware complaints overall. Mm -hmm. Now, I think it's too soon to tell why exactly we saw that decrease. And we saw really a leveling off of the amount from ransomware complaints. But overall, we have seen actors trying to recalibrate given the better cyber hygiene that's going on across the nation, you know, given just industry and, you know, private sector options that are available now for being able to counter ransomware And, you know, we're continuing to monitor that to see if that's a downward trend, if it's a leveling off trend. 
et cetera. But we also know, um, and we were able, it's kind of fun to see, you know, we have this reporting, we have the public reporting. And then we also see what's going on in our operations. Mm. And I think Hive's a great example where we're able to match up the two to better understand what's going on with reporting overall. So because of the access that we had during our Hive operation, we were able to see that only about 20% of victims from Hive were reporting to the FBI. In terms of the reporting to the IC3, is that primarily consumers or is it businesses or a mix of both? A mix of both. So we see anything from uh, individual Americans who are being, you know, targeted in individual scams, especially, you know, elder fraud scams, Mm. to large businesses. This is where a lot of our private sector partners are going to put in a report when they've had a ransomware attack or, you know, their outside counsels or, you know, other entities that are assisting them are helping us by submitting these reports, ensuring that, we're able to keep record of it. We're able to keep track of it and engage with them in an appropriate way. Well, based on the information that you all have gathered here, what are your recommendations for folks to better protect themselves? You know, I think we encourage anyone who is victimized by a cyber attack or intrusion to alert us of that as early as possible. The sooner we're made aware, the sooner we can respond, assist, and mitigate damage to the victim and other potential victims. A good example of that is our financial fraud kill chain. Over 70% of reports that were made into IC3 um, in a certain category, we were able to help recover those funds because mm-hmm. the report happened early on in the process. And that's over, I'm talking over 400 million recovered. Wow. So it's a huge amount. So we're able to assist further. So I think that early reporting is uh, you know, the best thing we can do. But backing up before something happens. Some of our best practices we recommend are backing up data, system images and um, configurations, testing backups and making sure those backups are not connected, they're offline, using multi-factor authentication, updating and patching systems, making sure security solutions are up to date, and then overall reviewing and exercising an incident response plan, including ensuring that you have the FBI point of contact who you're going to call. So not just kind of an unknown number, but you know that person, you have that person in your cell phone, and we're happy to facilitate that. It's, you know, it's, it's great to call us ahead of time so that uh, we're able to be a part of that. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a message we've, we've shared, I think, multiple times here, that it's, uh, if you're a CISO out there, it's in your best interest to make that introduction to your local FBI field office. Exactly. And I think as a CISO, you want options. You want to know all the people you can call. You want to know who you're going to call for incident response. You want to know who you're going to call for legal advice and um, including the FBI in that is really important. Cynthia Kaiser is Deputy Assistant Director for Cyber with the FBI. Cynthia, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. 
And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast. I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks where all the fine podcasts are listed. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. Your feedback helps us ensure we're delivering the information and insights that help keep you a step ahead in the rapidly changing world of cybersecurity. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The CyberWire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Irvin and senior producer Jennifer Iben. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. The show was written by Rachel Galfin. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.